Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast. I'm Alicia Halliday, the Chief Science Officer of the Autism Science Foundation. This week, I am so happy to share a new study with you that addresses an incredibly challenging behavior that has received little research so far. That's eating aversions and food selectivity. And in honor of Mother's Day, these new studies include parents. The most common feeding problem in children with autism include food selectivity based on type, texture, or presentation, and disruptive mealtime behaviors. It's pretty complicated stuff and can be frustrating for families who just want to have a meal. Families who are worried about their kids eating enough of the right foods. Families who try their hardest to do what they can, but not everyone is a clinical psychologist or dietitian, and they'd love to do more but don't know where to start. The reason I'm excited is that I met the authors of the study where they conducted the research at the Marcus Autism Center in Atlanta, Georgia. There, William Sharp and his colleagues have turned a section of the center to a state-of-the-art facility where parents can take their kids to deal with severe eating issues. Now, this one is an outpatient program, meaning they don't stay overnight, but they do stay for many hours during the day and have school at the facility for a few weeks. This works, but it's not necessarily feasible for everyone who doesn't live near Atlanta. So the creators of these interventions wanted to create a guide that would empower and train parents to be able to deliver a modified version of the intervention to see if it helped at all. So they designed a randomized clinical trial to test their new model. The randomized clinical trial meant that they were able to compare their treatment to a control. In this case, just parent education. The reason they chose parent education as the control, because in the experimental treatment, the one they were studying, parents were a huge part of the intervention. Why study food selectivity? Well, it's pretty common. About 95% of people with autism show some food selectivity. Sometimes it may be minor and require no treatment, or it may be so severe that it results in nutritional deficiencies, including scurvy, constipation, and reduced bone density. Now, if you're sitting there wondering what scurvy is, you may have heard that people who came over on the Mayflower suffer from scurvy because all of the vitamin C-rich food rotted within the first few weeks on the boat. But in modern day societies and first world countries, it's almost unheard of. Unless, of course, you have a severe food selectivity. Also, when parents try to deal with this themselves, it can lead to meltdowns, self-injurious behavior, frustration, throwing, and spitting which is why parents need help and why Marcus and William Sharp developed the Managing Eating Aversions and Limited Variety Plan, or MEAL. Get it? The MEAL plan was implemented in parents of kids three to eight years of age with food selectivity. The food selectivity didn't have to be severe, but it was rated from moderate to severe. Parents came into the center once a week for 12 weeks and were given training by psychologists and behaviorists. They did some role playing and practiced some of the skills. The skills included nutrition planning, structuring meals, introducing food, modifying mealtime interactions, implementing the feeding intervention, and incorporating new foods. About halfway through, the kids were brought in to these hour-long sessions so the parents could demonstrate what they learned with their own kids under the guidance of a clinician because practice makes perfect. They did this in front of each other, that is the entire cohort or class, so that each of the parents in the group would learn from the right and, of course, wrong things the other parents were doing to encourage better eating. Also, of importance, a dietician was involved to help decide what to introduce when. Now, a month after the last session, 
They looked at how many people were involved, how many people attended each session, how many people dropped out, what parents felt about the intervention, and of course, a measure of food selectivity. In this case, it was called the Bambi, or Brief ASD Mealtime Behavior Inventory. The 15-item Bambi includes four factors, food selectivity, disruptive mealtime behaviors, food refusal, and mealtime rigidity. The food selectivity subscale measures the child's response to the presentation of different foods during meals, and the disruptive mealtime behavior subscale focuses on maladaptive mealtime behaviors, including crying, screaming, and remaining in the seat. Now, the food refusal measures the child's behaviors to avoid consuming non-preferred or new foods, like closing your mouth tightly or expelling bites. And the mealtime rigidity subscale captures the child's flexibility with feeding and mealtime routines, including food preparation and presentation, like if something is boiled, not grilled, and also if things are not put together on a plate correctly, like they're not all lined up in a circle. So each item is scored from one, never occurs, to five, always occurs during meals. So if this was the experimental group, what was the control? I talked about it being parent education. The, to engage another set of parents, they used just parent education. This was a group that came in once a month to learn about different techniques, but they were not coached. Children were not involved. They didn't get to practice in front of each other. And of course, a dietitian was not advising on which types of food to introduce next. As it turns out, parents attended 87% of the meal sessions, while only 67% attended just the parent education sessions. They liked it more. And compared to just parent education, the meal intervention improved eating by about 50% over baseline. That parent education produced about a 5% improvement. So that was a significant difference. Clinicians could be trained to deliver it pretty accurately, and they were able to share it effectively with parents. It's clear this needs a replication with a larger group and, of course, outside Atlanta, but this shows that it is possible to do a parent-mediated food selectivity intervention, and this opens up plenty of options for parents across the United States. And along these same lines, another study released late last year from a collaboration at the Cleveland Clinic and the University of Rochester saw similar results publishing an extension of a parent training for feeding protocol that was initially tested a few years before. In this protocol, clinicians went to the homes of families to teach them skills on easing food aversions and selectivity. A dietitian was also utilized based on food diaries parents filled out, and they used computer software to calculate nutritional intake. Instead of a train and pray, the investigators used video vignettes depicting actual families of children with autism at mealtimes to illustrate concepts and techniques to the families. So instead of going to the clinic, the clinic came to the home based on teleconferencing and one in-home visit. They included basic skills of providing reinforcement, how to introduce new foods, and how to generalize what was learned at home into other settings. Now, the age range was similar, three to seven years, but it did last a little longer than the Marcus Autism Center intervention, about 20 weeks. This group also used the Bambi, which is the tool I mentioned earlier to assess eating in kids with autism. And like the study at the Marcus Autism Center, this one found that the intervention was feasible and had high attendance as well. Parents actually liked this version, which focused on individual child eating behaviors one-on-one -on -one versus those in a group setting, which is what was done before. 
Not only did the kids expand their food repertoire, they also showed fewer disruptive behaviors and they showed overall improvements in behaviors using a measure of treatment efficacy called the Clinical Global Impression Scale. In fact, there was about a 50% improvement. So that's consistent with the previous study. I'm not gonna knit and pick the similarities and differences across the studies, because who really cares? They show that parents can make a meaningful impact on even something as complicated as food selectivity and food aversions in their kids. Now, parents need help, because we all do, and they need more than just a simple education. They need coaching, support, books and manuals, and most of all, encouragement. This is not something parents can do on their own, and it helps that these models don't have to be delivered in a clinic because honestly, that severely restricts the families that are going to get help for this issue. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you had a marvelous Mother's Day to the mothers out there.